On the Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. On the Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. My name's Francis Leach. My name's Sally Rugg and some of the things I say in this specific podcast may or may not represent the views of my employer. How the hell are you, Sally Rugg? I haven't seen you for so long. We got locked down. You went to a wedding in West Australia. I turn on my television. You're there, not being allowed to ask <laughs> me about that. And then you've done this enormously brilliant work around uh, the Biliwilla family who uh, are uh, in Perth at the moment and you're one step closer to getting them home. You have been in busy. Uh, yeah, I have been, but it's been a, a really great time. Yeah, particularly the campaign you just mentioned, supporting the people from Biloela, a big group of locals from Biloela, which is like a tiny town in Queensland, to get their friends, Priya and Nadez and Kopika and Tanika, bust them out of detention on Christmas Island and get them home to Biloela. I mean, that campaign has been running for more than three years now, and so... Angela and a couple of other women from Biloela started a petition with Change.org, which is where I work. And so I've known these women and this family for over three years. And it's been, I mean, I'm sure many people listening have been supporting the campaign for (laughs) almost as long. But yeah, there's been a huge breakthrough in the campaign this week with getting the family out of the horrific, unsuitable Christmas Island detention centre and into a house in Perth, still in detention, but their immediate safety is far, far improved. So that's good. It is great. I want to talk to you more about what you've noticed about the mechanics or the dynamics, I should say, around a campaign like this and and how community sentiment can be turned into action because you've done it brilliantly. You and the remarkable people from Biloela who've been steadfast, consistent, uh, incredibly patient, and also just been really brilliantly clear advocates. They've kept their obviously deeply held anger about the situation pretty much in check in order to be clear, calm and compassionate as well. And it's just been a really masterful uh, uh, campaign of advocacy for people who cannot speak on their own behalf. Mm. It's funny you make that reflection. Like my job is that my team and I support people with their campaigns. And so we, we bring stuff like this is how you do this digital tactic or we can, this is how you set up a meeting with this decision maker or like, have you thought about writing this sort of media release? You know, like we do all that sort of logistics or skill sharing stuff. But I feel like I have learned so much from working with uh, the women uh, from Biloela and with Priya as well, the, the mother of the family. And it's such a beautiful story because Priya and Nadez are immigrants from Sri Lanka. They're Tamil. They've sought asylum in Australia. So they, they are sort of like newly arrived people in this tiny little town. They have many, many things in common, but one of the core values between these locals in Biloela and Priya and her family is this unwavering commitment to being polite. They've just refused at any opportunity to be anything other than gracious and polite. And so, like, my instinct would sometimes be to be like, 
F you, immigration minister, how could you? And like, look at this suffering and let me tell you some stories about their persecution and all this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, Priya has been like, no, no, we don't want to bother people with that. You know, we'll always insist that anyone's saying Scott Morrison, sort of correcting it as Prime Minister Morrison. Um, And the same with the locals from Biloela, that they just have insisted from the beginning that this must be a campaign of respect and kindness and love. Yeah, it's great to hear that repeated back because it's it's so authentic, right? Like it's not a strategic decision. That's just who they are um, shining through. And I, I do really think that that's one of the reasons why the family has received such broad support, as well as the fact that they've had this visibility, right? Like there are hundreds of people and families just like this family in Australia, if not in held detention, like in community detention or locked in hotels like the the men in the Parkville Hotel in Melbourne. But the difference is, is that this family had some people in Biloela who thought, hey, actually, uh, no, like you're not going to do this to our friends. Um, so, yeah, it's been great to be able to support the campaign and to learn so much from it. It is. You've done a magnificent job, as have the wonderful people of Billa Wheeler. I do have a personal connection with the town. I've travelled to a number of World Cups with a whole crew of uh, people from Billa Wheeler who are mad football fans. They go watch the Socceroos or the Matildas wherever they can around the world, and they're overly represented. I think on the last World Cup trip to to France, we had I think eight people from Billa Wheeler on our trip. It was so I, I've got a, I've never been oh, there. Great. But I know some of the locals, and I know what a magical little place it is. So. Uh, uh, well done to them. And, of course, this story we will continue to follow as we go along. We've got a lot to get through. Michelle O'Neill, the president of the ACTU, is about to join us to talk about a bunch of things that have happened in the last little while, including, unfortunately, uh, last week, the superannuation changes going through the Senate, the minimum wage rise that went on, and a few other things as well. So we'll get to catch up with the press right after this. Government's particularly unhappy about a particular investment of a super fund. They want to be able to stop it, um, which was, I assume, what Tim Wilson was talking about there. Or if they felt that fund money was being used inappropriately for ideological uh, reasons. So, you know, I think the concern is is that um, um, there's this is really about wanting greater control over investment decisions that um, super fund managers um, are, are making. That's Jason Yatsen Lee from Managing Director at Yatsen Associates on the drum on ABC Telly last night talking about the changes to superannuation that went through Federal Parliament last week, uh, late on a Thursday night, which the union movement, Sally's been fighting hard to try and stop and uh, it's a frustrating moment for everyone concerned, but we thought we'd talk to somebody who's been in the middle of that fight to let us know what the implications are and what the next steps are. Michelle O'Neill is president of the Australian Council of Trade Unions and she's on the job for the first time she joins us on the program. Hi, Michelle, how are you going? Hi there, Francis. Hi, Sally. Is it really the first time? I don't think that's right. No, I don't think that's right. (laughs) But it's lovely to be with you both. Sometimes we wave through the window if you're walking past, and I think that counts. I think the listeners enjoy it just as much as we do. So, Michelle, what are the implications straight up from, from what we saw last Thursday when that legislation, which you fought so hard to try to hold at bay, was passed by the Senate? Well, this is part of a 
pretty dastardly plan that the federal government have about trying to dismantle a really important thing that we have in Australia that's actually different to a whole lot of other countries in the world. So the fact that we've got this universal superannuation system that's designed to make sure that people don't retire poor, I mean, that's what it's about. It came about because unions fought for it because the vast bulk of working people were retiring poor and they couldn't live with dignity when they were old. And it was a terrible thing. And so winning a right to have a retirement with dignity by having enough money to live on and pay your bills and look after yourself when you're older is such a basic thing about justice. And the fact that we've got a superannuation system that was built on that is a great thing. But it was also built on the idea that we should have funds where working people have a say about what happens with the money that goes into these funds. So that's what a thing called an industry fund is. It's a fund that has a board made up of representatives of unions to be the voice of workers, but also the representatives of business. So it's got the employers on it, it's got unions on it, and they're meant to say, well, how do we make sure this works for everybody? So... The answer to the question is the federal government hates this. They hate industries funds. They hate industry superannuation. They hate the idea that ordinary working people are going to have a say about their money. And so this is another bill that they've put through that's designed to damage those funds and support the for-profit funds. So mainly for-profit funds are owned by big banks. Um, and those big banks and other profit-making bodies own super funds and profit that they make, instead of going back to the members, they go to the shareholders. So big banks make profits out of it, they give it to their shareholders. Whereas industry funds... All the profit goes back to the members. To, it goes back to the ordinary workers that are in the fund. So this legislation, what it does is really leave out the for-profit funds, helps the banks, lets them get away with charging whatever fees they want, doing whatever they like. But it does says to the industry funds that you've got to have a whole different standard and it means that workers will get stuck in dud funds and they called getting stapled to funds. So if you start off in a fund in your first job... That's the fund you'll get stuck in until you're much, much older and you finally pay attention to it, often when it's too late and you'll have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And those big super funds, like the big bank super funds, they're the ones that are frequently exposed to like funding disastrous new coal mines or like, you know, they're, they're often funding things that perhaps the members or the workers who are contributing their money into might be like, well, well hold on a minute, like... I don't want my fund being used to prop up this casino or whatever it might be, right? Yeah, there are also funds that just don't have that degree of scrutiny. Like the thing about industry funds is that working people get a chance to have a look at what's going on with them because you've got that employer and union representation, whereas for-profit funds are much more secretive about what they do with their money and what's going on. And it is really important that workers have a say in what happens with what is now, you know, workers' capital, money that gets invested here in Australia and around the world. And it should be in the interest of working people. And this is part of the problem and part of the things that really this government and a lot of big business and big banks don't like. And the other thing is that, remember they had that Royal Commission into banks and the financial institutions? And it, 
they thought that by putting fun, super funds in there that they'd find all these problems. Well, surprise, surprise, they did. But it was all with the for-profit funds who were found to be completely dodgy. Like they were charging fees for things that they never delivered. They were keeping on um, funds and charging fees for dead people. They were ripping people off in all these ways. But do you think the government does something about cleaning them up? No way. They go after the industry funds and this is what this bill does. The idea of workers' capital being in control by workers and the people who represent their unions in the independent independent boards that super funds have in conjunction with business, it's not just union uh, representatives on those boards, that's one of the great misnomers here. Is that the thing they fear the most, is that the huge success of industry funds in particular to generate this huge capital base means that workers through the industry super funds can actually make decisions that they seem are ethical or, or aligned to their values, which will not sit comfortably with the bankers and the people in the financial industry who forever been making those decisions who thought it was just their domain to make investments on behalf of people. Well, I think it is a bit about class, really. Yeah. I think it is this idea that, you know, it's... it's Stay the, in your it's lane, the working ruling, people. It's the ruling class that should control the big money, Francis. Like, it's, it, that's, that's the people who are used to controlling the big money. And fundamentally, it's about people having a right to pass their working life when they've given so much, um, have a life where they know they're not going to be in poverty. And we're not there yet because so many working people still don't have enough in their super fund. We're still building it up. And you saw earlier this year that the government was seriously trying to stop going ahead with what they'd put into law um, to have an increase in super on the 1st of July this year. Now, we fought back against that and they're now going ahead with it on the 1st of July. Everybody should check. Your super should go up to 10% from the 1st of July this year. But that's still not enough. We need to keep building it up because today, if you're a woman and you um, retire, you retire with half the super that a man does. And that's because women come in and out of the workforce and they're more likely to be in insecure jobs and that we're less pay, get earn less pay than men do. So women form the biggest group of um, homeless people over the age of 55 and they're growing. So that's because we haven't fixed dignity and rights in your retirement and that's why super is so important so we've got to try and stop this dismantling of something that other people in the world are really jealous about us in australia having i feel like superannuation is one of those things where i don't know when you're when you're a teenager starting your first job or your first proper paying job certainly for myself like it was very difficult for me to think about my life past 25 because I, particularly if you're someone who is like working really hard to make ends meet and every single day is a, a financial stress like I wasn't thinking about my retirement I was thinking about how I was going to make my rent that weekend it's kind of this trap where young people feel like superannuation is like something they don't really understand and like I'll think about that later how can we get through to young people that this is like really, really important and it's a crucial investment? Yeah, what you're describing, Sally, is 
what happens for most of us, right? Exactly that. Like you just don't think about it when you start off working. You, you don't think you're ever going to get to retirement and it's just not something that you spend time, most people don't spend time thinking about or, or looking at the detail of. And that that's why this bit of law is a bad law because what it will do is exploit that idea. They use this term stapling, which is sort of bizarre but anyway it's it's basically sticking workers to the first fund that they're in and like you most workers will pay no attention and if it's a big bank retail fund a fund that doesn't perform properly that charges a whole lot of fees nobody will pay attention to it they won't you won't pay attention to it until you're in your 50s probably and meanwhile that's you're going to have lost a whole lot of money because of that and that's why it's a bad bit of law but back to your point I reckon it is about school and it is about you know trying to get people to understand it because the way that super works is it it's that compounding interest idea that it's not the little bit like 0.5 percent of super going up to 10 percent it's like a cup of coffee a week you know that's how much it's going to cost the bosses to for most people to get 0.5 percent extra in their super but what that means on retirement, depending on your income, is $60,000, $70,000, $80,000 more in your retirement. So getting that really simple understanding that might seem like a little bit of money now, but because of how it works, it builds and builds and builds. And at the other end of your life, it's going to make a difference about what sort of life you have. I had personal experience of this stapling idea when I first started, my first job, I ended up in a, a commercial fund. I didn't know much about it, but I was aware that super is important. And it wasn't until I started working in the public service, someone said, you should check out your superannuation. And I did. And I realised that I was being charged ridiculous, like exorbitant, and outrageous fees. And there was barely any money going into my actual account whatsoever. And as soon as I switched over to a very early industry fund at the, the, at the ABC where I was working, it, it it started to perform, but it terrifies me that, as you've pointed out, Michelle, that young people are going to think, oh, I've got superannuation, and they're going to be stapled or stuck with a fund that is just going to be raking in huge amounts mm-hmm. of dollars for doing nothing because people are, like Sally's mentioned, just either oblivious or not financially literate. I've got too much other stuff going on to actually pay attention to that. The opt-in option or uh, that you have to have in order to change a superannuation is a, a form of exploitation. That's yeah, what they're, they're trying to exploit people, the busyness of young people and, and their lack of financial literacy. It really is so cynical. But you know what? The other thing that's that's really dodgy about this is that Something else that people don't know is that often you get insurance to Mm. do with your superannuation that is for industry funds to do with the industry that you work in. So if you think about it, if you're working in a a shop, then the sort of risks um, you face as a worker in a shop in terms of you doing your job are quite different to someone who's working on a construction site or maybe who's someone who's working on in frontline emergency services. But an industry super funds, if you're an individual worker, you can't get good insurance to cover injury and, and death um, in those dangerous in- – it will cost you a lot as an individual. And like you're describing, Sally, most people think nothing's ever going to happen to me. Why would I take out life insurance or health insurance to cover that sort of incident? Whereas the industry funds, they put all everybody together. They can get a really good insurance deal. So for construction, for example, they get these really important – Um, coverage for workers of all ages so if they're injured or in the worst circumstances killed on the job they or their family have money 
And it's critical in these crisis times, the worst of times. And so the other thing this law will do will stop that because you'll end up in the first fund. And then when you end up working in a more dangerous job or industry, you won't have swapped into the right fund and you won't have that benefit of that insurance. So again, workers get ripped off. I just want to play a quick game of guess who, right? I'm going to do a quote and you two can tell me if you know who I'm quoting right now. It's time to kill superannuation, stone cold dead. Does anybody know who that was? The Terminator, Leonard Schwarzenegger, going all fiscal. Michelle, Michelle's laughing. I think she might have been in the chamber at the time. I wasn't there, but it's that Liberal Member of Parliament who said it yesterday. God, you're testing me. You know. Andrew Bragg is usually up. It could have been him. Like That's a good guess. But no, this guy's Senator Jared Rennick. This is his claim to fame, someone who has the absolute nerve. And and let's remember how much super these guys get, right? They get 15.4% super because they're politicians, not like the rest of us, um, and they're on hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he has the nerve as a representative of people to stand up in the parliament and say, kill super, like the absolute gall of this man. And he's not known for anything else. Like that's what he's now famous for. Has he ever done anything else for people? I didn't know who he was. Like I looked at that photo and I said, like, sorry to this man, but who are you? Yeah, it's funny, like had a call a couple of weeks ago now, a couple of months ago, I think, from a journalist who works in the gallery saying, hey, um, so uh, the Liberal Party are thinking about announcing this plan or this idea where, like, young people, so I'm 31, like, people your age could um, raid their super to buy a house deposit and, uh, you know, just, you're a young person, like, what do you think of that? And I said to this man, and I repeat it now, like, people who are my age, like, we don't have enough super for a house deposit. Like, I've been working full time since I was 17, and I don't have enough super for a house deposit. And even if I did, what a terrible idea. It just really, yeah, it really feels like this government not only has a vendetta against the concept, but like quite a vendetta that they're like putting into action, trying to strip people of their superannuation, whether it's in pandemic support, whether it's to shovel into this overinflated housing market until it bursts. It's really alarming. Yeah, that's right, Sally, and it actually backfires. Like if you let people use their super for house deposits, then all it does, and this is what all of those, even conservative economists say, is that it just pushes up the price of houses. Um, And so Mm. people raid their super, they end up paying more for the houses and then they're left with no super when they need it or much less super when they need it when they're older. And, of course, so many people were caught with that during um, the pandemic, taking out their super. And, you know, it's women again. So the majority of people who took out all of their super, all of it, um, and were left with nothing was women because they had less money. And so same a problem. They're going to be faced with poverty when they're old. Michelle, a couple of things before you go. Uh, the free trade agreement that Scott Morrison trumpeted with Boris Johnson, obviously very scant on details, but there are a few things that have come out about it. One of them's on the status of visas for, for young workers coming to Australia. What should we be looking out for in this and what are the of most concern? And are there any advantages that you've seen from what's been announced so far? Well, the problem with 
Australia and these deals that we do is that unlike a whole lot of other countries, we do them in secret. So here's Scott Morrison gone off and negotiated a free trade agreement with the UK. He and Boris Johnson have dinner, have breakfast, announce this great deal. But who knows what's in it, Francis? Like this is shocking. Like they are not obliged to give us the detail and they haven't finally signed it yet. But we don't know the detail. We just know what they say in a press conference. And some of those things came out, like the trade minister in the in Britain, she tweeted, oh, this is a great deal. And she tweeted this fact sheet along with it. And, you know, in the fact sheet, it's one of the things it boasted about was, oh, this is a great deal because Aussie companies will no longer have to offer jobs first to Australian nationals. So this is the UK government saying, fantastic deal for us. We've got rid of this requirement in Australia where Australian companies have to first check, and we fought for this, first check whether there's a local worker here in Australia who can do the job, and which is a fair thing, you know. And then, then if there isn't local workers who are available or want to do the job, then it's all right to bring someone in to be able to do it. So they bragging about getting rid of that. So that's shocking for a whole lot of people who are still out of work in Australia and looking for work. The other thing that's really bad about what they said is that they've changed the deal about UK backpackers having to do that, um, require that they work in agriculture. You know how you had to, if you wanted to extend your visa and from the UK, you had to work on a farm. They've changed that. But instead, under cover of that, they've announced they're going to do this new deal with an ASEAN visa with two 10 of the poorest countries in the world to say, well, we're going to open up for those people to come into Australia and work. Now, what we know about agriculture today, and there was a report this week about this, is that some of the worst types of exploitation in the country happen with farm workers. The report that was done by the Migrant Workers Centre and the uh, Unions New South Wales last week showed that 78% of workers on farms aren't getting their minimum legal wage. They're just being ripped off. There's harassment, there's violence, there's safety issues. So what do we do as a country? We say, well, let's open it up even more. Let's not, nothing to fix the exploitation, nothing to make sure people get good pay and their rights, but opening it up to poor and desperate people to come in and be further exploited in our backyard. It's a shocker. So we're going to look for more detail, Francis, but um, this is something we really need to argue and, and campaign hard to make sure that we protect the rights of workers here and the rights of workers everywhere in the world to be treated fairly. And just to finish, the minimum wage case last week as well, the decision that was made that uh, gave the, our lowest paid workers a 2.5% pay rise, where does that sit in, in what you're expecting? Look, 25 is better than what big business and government wanted, right? Big business and government said zero or very, very little. Outrageous. The, you know, for working people, we've had eight years of stagnant wages. People worked so hard through the pandemic to keep Australia going, took enormous risks, lost super, lost shifts, lost pay, lost jobs. And what do they say? No. Nah don't give them a pay increase. We argued and fought for 3.5%. So 2.5% is okay, but not good enough, is what I would say. Um, we need to see wages really lift because workers need that money in their pockets. But it's actually really good 
also for small business and the economy because if you're on a low income, you spend all the money you get and you spend it in your local businesses and then that's good for creating um, a healthier recovery for all. The other thing I'd say about it, and this is a really bad part of the decision, they've delayed it for some workers. So most workers get it on the 1st of July or the first pay packet after the 1st of July. Look out for it. Contact your union if you don't see it. Um, But for uh, workers in retail and workers in hospitality and events um, and aviation, they've delayed it. So some don't get it to September and some have to wait till November, which is terrible. It's just hurting the people that have already been doing the hardest. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the job and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Francis. Thanks, Sally. Great to be with you. Michelle O'Neill there, President of the ACTU, with us here on The Job. This is On The Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rung. Sally, great to have you back. I missed you. I missed you. Firstly, how was the wedding? Oh, my gosh. It was so great. It's funny. I um, used to hate marriage as an idea, which is funny because I did spend like more than five years of my life trying to change marriage laws so queer people could also do it. And throughout that whole period of my life, I was like, marriage, that sucks, but it should be fair. Um, And now, I don't know, something's happened. Maybe it's because I'm like truly in love or something, but my heart's gone all soppy. And so now I just weddings I'm like oh man they're so beautiful what's the best wedding you've been to Francis oh that's a great question oh, my own one was pretty good I had a great night that night the yeah. best wedding my sister's <laughs> wedding my little sister Marie got married to her partner and now wife Kathy about two years ago and uh, that was you're welcome Kathy yeah. you're welcome Marie <laughs> <laughs> that no, no, was... I'm, I'm totally kidding yeah, no, no, absolutely. They'd be very grateful. Um, that was just a, a night of pure, unmitigated joy for everybody. It was such a great night. I have not laughed and cried that much in a long, long time. And I've, my sister is, I've never seen her happier. So, um, yeah, so Marie's wedding, it was, uh, it was very simple. It was in Kyneton where Kathy's family's from. And Kathy has just been such a, an incredible person in our family's uh, story since uh, she came into Marie's life. And we just had the night of our lives. And I've never seen my sister happier. And she's been, you know, she's, yeah, anyway, it was great. And we, whenever we talk about it, it just brings back so many great memories. So, yeah, it can be really, really good fun. I'm glad your sister had a great wedding. And what about the reaction to your uh, turn on what I think is probably my favourite TV show? You can't ask that because, this, hey, the format for that program is so simple but so brilliant, like just so brilliant. It, it is you cannot look away. It takes you absolutely everywhere. Mm. Unbelievable. And the show that you were on, which was about being a lesbian, was just fantastic. And I, I learned stuff I never knew. I had a good laugh um, and it was just stunningly good. How's it been? How's it been the response that you've had? Because, you know, when you go on the national TV like that and talk about that stuff, um, you know, people are going to call you and say, hi, I saw you in the telly. It's funny then because if I, like, oftentimes if I go on TV, particularly if I'm talking about gay stuff, I'll get a couple of nasty messages and, like, that's fine. That's just part of the job, I suppose. Um, But with You Can't Ask That, I've only got really beautiful, kind messages and I, I, like, suppose the audience is a bit self-selecting if they want to watch 
that show and that particular episode. But, um, yeah, we filmed it so long ago, like almost a year before it went to air, and I didn't know any of the um, other women on it. Like I don't didn't know them personally, but I also didn't know who they were, you know. So watching it, you know, meeting all these women for the first time and I've become obsessed with them. Like in my brain I keep forgetting that they're not my friends. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, like, yeah, like remember when we did all that thing together in my head, but we don't know each other. <laughs> Did you? I learned a lot out of that program that I never understood on you. Was there anything that surprised you? No, <laughs> um, not not remotely. In fact, so I was my involvement with the show came about because I was initially doing like some consulting with the producers. I guess the process is that that they learn a lot about the identity or the experience or whatever it is before they, I guess, cast or think about question curation or whatever it is. So I did spend a lot of time on the phone with the producers talking about various aspects of lesbian identity and history and areas of controversy, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I wasn't initially going to be on the show and then and then they asked me to be and I was like, oh, yes. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't want to, like, there's no hierarchy, but I would like to... I would like to think of myself as like an expert lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of you that way as well. Good on you, Sally. Great to be back on the program with you and uh, we'll do it all again next week. Don't forget to follow Sally on your socials at Sally Rugg uh, and, uh, and me at St. Frankly. We love your reviews. We need your reviews. Whatever platform you're listening on, uh, give us a review and your stars or however you advocate for our program and share the uh, information and inspiration about it. Uh, the more you review it, the more people find it. Uh, we'll see you then, Sal. See you then. Bye.